here we are in 2024. Well, I did a bit of uh, Googling the other day to see what was coming up in this coming year that we might have to look forward to. Found a few things. Some are definitely more exciting than others. Uh, turns out it's a leap year uh, this year, which I hadn't realized. Anyone born on the 29th of February? Yes. Well, happy birthday for this year. Um, you're probably like seven now or something. Um, we've got the Summer Olympics in Paris, if you're into sports stuff. Uh, Facebook turns 20 years old, which isn't that exciting, but does age some of us a little bit. Uh, Taylor Swift is touring in the UK, apparently. There's definitely a Swifty somewhere, yeah? Got tickets? Oh, that's sad. If anyone wants to get anyone tickets, they'll be warmly received. Um, a new series of uh, The Traitors came out this week. Anyone else excited by that? I am. Uh, Euro 2024 takes place this summer. I imagine many of us, including myself, will get very excited and carried away and then probably quite disappointed. Um, <clears throat> we've probably got an election, which we won't talk too much about. Someone's excited. And if that isn't all enough, it's uh, apparently only 353 sleeps until Christmas 2024. So, you know, I think I just got a boo there. Wow. Um, so, you know, it could be quite the exciting year, but obviously none of us can predict exactly what our own individual lives will look like over the next year. And whether you're the kind of person that sets like a New Year's resolution or not, New Year's do get us thinking a little bit, don't they? As one year closes and another one begins, inside and outside the church, many of us uh, reflect backwards, look ahead, and think about what might be coming. And I know for me personally around the New Year, I find myself asking some quite probing questions like, why do I eat so much cheese over Christmas compared to any other time of the year? And uh, could 2024 be the year that I finally pull off a mustache? Uh, definitely not, just spoiler alert. And am I finally going to get called up to the England squad? Unlikely. But on a more serious note, uh, I do think a lot about my walk with Jesus. Like, how's it going? Am I genuinely becoming more like Jesus year on year? And really, like, how do I even grow and become more like him? And so before we jump into the passage we're going to look at today, why don't we just take a few seconds to each just take stock and think a bit about our relationship with Jesus. Like, where do you feel like you are at spiritually at the moment? Maybe you feel like coming into this new year, you're, you're excited, you're firing on all cylinders. It might be that you feel like you're stuck in a bit of a rut. All of us will probably be in def very different places. But if I was to say to you, are you more like Jesus now than you were yesterday? Uh, that would probably be quite a tricky question to answer. It depends how much sleep you probably got. But... What about last week or last month? Even that, I think I would find quite hard to answer. But what about a year ago? Or like five years ago? Or 10 years ago, depending on how long you've been following Jesus? And what do we do if we feel like we're stuck in a bit of a rut? Because whether it's a new year or a different time of year, I think it is important that we do take time to think about these kind of things. And so today we're going to look at a passage from a letter in the Bible called 2 Peter. And next week, we're actually going to begin a, a bit of a longer series looking at 1 Peter and Peter generally. But today, we're just going to have a look at this passage in his second letter because it relates to how we grow as followers of Jesus, like how we do that. And in this letter, Peter hints that he may be getting executed soon. He seems to know that. And so in like an unofficial way, this is uh, potentially a bit of like a farewell speech from him to this church. And also, importantly, he is writing to them because there were some specific leaders in that church who were essentially teaching that following Jesus didn't, necessar didn't necessarily need to make a difference to um, your life or some of the decisions you made, and he's like strongly correcting them. 
So today we're going to read a bit of a longer passage, and then we're going to try and work through it a little bit. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 3. It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a big passage. This is uh, just at the beginning of Peter's letter. And there is a lot in that passage that we could talk about today. We can't cover it all. But in this section, it does seem like Peter gives us a little bit of a map for like, what does it look like to grow and become more like Jesus? And ultimately, he seems to say, like, if you can do these things, if you can intentionally walk with Jesus, then he finishes at the end what we read in verse 8. It says, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause here for a minute. Peter, he's, he's not really messing around with his language here, is he? Ineffective and unproductive. Imagine you go to parents' evening next week um, and the, the teacher sits you down and they basically say, I'm afraid your child is mainly just ineffective and unproductive in the classroom. Even if that was true, you'd expect the teacher to like put it a little bit more nicely, wouldn't you? Or maybe next week I sit down with Susie for my annual appraisal and she says, well, Ollie, this year I would describe your presence on our staff team in two words, ineffective and unproductive. Uh, firstly, that would be brutal and hopefully also untrue. And yet those are the words we find in Peter's letter to, to these followers of Jesus. And in his defense, he's not actually calling them ineffective and unproductive, but he's warning them that when it comes to our faith, we could actually end up in that place. And that our faith requires us to like intentionally move in a direction. It's not a static thing. And now imagine for a minute that someone described your faith as ineffective or unproductive. We'd be gutted, right? None of us would want that. And to be clear, when, when Peter talks about, well, he uses words, sorry, like effective and productive, he's not talking about what we typically might think of as productivity, like spreadsheets and to-do lists and that kind of thing. He's talking about our lives being fruitful, about genuine change in our character and the way that we love people around us. So how does he say we get there? Well, let's have a little look. So if we go back to that passage, the first verse in verse three says this. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need for a godly life. And uh, quite a few other translations say uh, everything we need for life and godliness. And when Peter is talking about this divine power we get through knowing Jesus, he's probably talking about it the same way that Paul did in his letter to the Ephesians where he said this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So the promise that we find in the Bible is that when we know Jesus, the power and presence of the creator of the, of the universe, uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that actually lives in us. Like it's almost too hard to get your head around, isn't it? And Peter in some ways seems to be responding to the question, is that power enough on its own for us in all the challenges that we might face? Whatever we might come across. And his answer is a resounding yes. 
And to be clear, he's not talking about something which might happen in the future, like one day, at some point, we will be given everything we need. Like once work slows down a little bit, or once the kids get a bit older, or once I finish uni, or once I have a bit more time. Peter seems to be saying that as followers of Jesus, we have already been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Like not necessarily everything that we want or everything that we think we need, but everything that we need. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that does jar with me a little bit because I think, like, really? Like, right now, in this moment, I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. Like, when I think sometimes of how far I feel from where I could be with Jesus or friends who have prayed and prayed for years and uh, for healing and never really seen any change or lots of different things. Maybe what about you when, you when you hear that today? What's your initial response to everything that we need? It might even be disbelief or something like that. Because when we read this, I think there's the temptation to assume that Peter is just overlooking some, some different things, to think, ah, if Peter really knew about my situation, I think he'd probably rein his language in a little bit. If he knew what my family was like, or if he knew how challenging my job is at the moment, or if he knew what my bank account looked like, or if he knew what I'd been through recently, then he might phrase it a little bit differently. But it's important for us to remember this is coming from a man who had faced extreme persecution himself. He'd seen friends die for their faith. He knew he was probably imminently about to die for his faith. And it's clear in the Bible, he was far from perfect. And yet, he makes the claim that we have everything that we need. Who finds that challenging? I know I definitely do. Because sometimes, even though we've probably all heard something like that before, Deep down, it's hard to, to really know it and believe it sometimes, isn't it? And I think it's easy to slip into sometimes a, a bit of a mindset, like a, a bit of a Christian version of entitlement where we think, you know, that we pray and that we love Jesus and we come to church and we try and be nice to people. So surely everything will work out all right for us. But that doesn't seem to be what we find in the Bible or in probably many of our own lives. But what the Bible does seem to suggest is that whatever we face, he is enough for us. Uh, Rich Nathan, the, the founding pastor of Columbus Vineyard in America, he puts it this way. Christ may not heal your body or the body of a loved one, but Christ will give you what you need to honor him, whether or not your body is healed. Christ may not give you the job you want, the position you've been longing for, but he will give you what you need to honor God, whatever your financial situation. And Christ may not give you what you want in terms of a happy marriage or even a marriage at all, but he will give you what you need to live a godly life. Christ's goal for you and me every year is not our comfort, but our character. God wants us to look more and more like his son. So Peter, in this passage, he's clear that as we look ahead to, to trying to become more like Jesus, at the very center of how we get there is not us, but it's actually his divine power, Jesus' divine power. And if you're anything like me, it can be easy with this kind of thing sometimes to slip into a bit of a mindset of like, I can do this. Like, uh, I literally have, like, apps on my phone to, like, tick off, like, spiritual disciplines, notifications that pop up. Um, anytime someone mentions, like, a new book or a new idea, I'm like, yes, that is going to solve everything. Uh, I love a bit of routine and discipline and that kind of thing. And I have lost times of how many times I've learned it doesn't quite work like that with following Jesus. It's not just a matter of having enough willpower and we'll just click our fingers and we'll become more like him. Uh, Jesus himself, in John 15, he said this to his followers. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Like if we want to look back in, in years, decades to come and see our lives marked by becoming more and more like the person of Jesus, if that's what you want, then actually it has to be about his divine power rather than our willpower. That actually what separates following Jesus from some kind of like self-help program is we actually recognize we need a lot more help than we can give ourselves. That on my own, I don't actually have what it takes to be the hero of my own story, but Jesus does. And in some ways, that's one of the crazy claims that we find in the gospel, that not only are we forgiven of our sins, which is incredible, but the promise of the gospel is that the God of the universe, he comes to dwell in each of us as his followers. That he is for us, he is with us, and that in him we actually have everything we need for life and godliness. And in the next verse, in verse four, Peter, he kind of says the same thing, but in a slightly different way. Uh, He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And there's quite a lot in this phrase, uh, participate in the divine nature. Lots of different scholars have different thoughts about it. But one thing almost all of them seem to agree on is that what Peter is saying here is mind-blowing. Like one commentary I said, uh, read said this, said that this claim is so incredible it is without equal in the New Testament. That through Jesus somehow we, me and you, we get to participate in the divine nature. We get to share in God's own life and his love and his power, which is so hard to get your head around. But those of us who, on some days we get it right and on other days we get it very wrong, on both of those days, we're invited to participate with God. That's not like a, it's not a bad goal to go into 2024 with, is it? Like, oh, this year I want to participate in the divine nature. But ultimately what Peter is getting at and what is important for us today is that it is actually not just through our own effort, but it's through Jesus and by his power and because of him that we are changed. That's where it all has to begin. And I think in that we find both like an encouragement and a challenge. So an encouragement in that whoever you are, like however long you follow Jesus right now, you have everything you need for life and godliness. We don't need to persuade God to help us. We don't need to do the right combination of things in the right way. But we have access to him right here, right now. Even if you came in today feeling like you've got nothing to give of yourself, you've lost hope, the invitation is the same. Come to Jesus. He has everything that you need. But I think as well as an encouragement, there is actually a challenge in this for us as well. Because if we have everything we need, then pursuing a godly life isn't something we can think about doing like one day. Or once we've reached like a certain level of being a Christian, in some ways it makes it about this moment right now. Like puts the ball in our court, it's not some abstract thing we can think about, but it makes it about the 7th of January 2024. Dallas Willard, uh, he said that one of the biggest reasons we often don't grow as Christians is we fail to realize that God doesn't want to do something in us one day, he wants to do something in us today. And often we miss that, I know I do. And so this is why Peter, he kind of moves on, and this is what he says next. So from verse five, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So that first phrase, he says, for this very reason, make every effort. And some translations use different phrases like with all diligence, Uh, But basically, what he's saying is, in light of what I've just talked about, in light of his divine power, spare no expense. Do whatever it takes. Make every effort. 
And in the NIV, there are actually eight different places in the New Testament where it translates that phrase, make every effort. Uh, they're going to pop up on the screen. We won't go through them, but it's a phrase that pops up a few times. And there are other places throughout the New Testament as well where it uses uh, similar phrases of things like fight the good fight, train yourself to be godly, work at it with all of your heart. And that can be a little bit confusing sometimes, right? Because Peter has literally just said, oh, it's not about you, it's about his divine power. It's not about us on our own. But now he's saying, okay, now you guys, you make every effort. And sometimes, I think when we talk about this kind of thing, we often lean in one of two directions. Either we make it all about God, that it's all about what he does, or we can make it all about our own effort. And we put these things almost opposite one another. They, like, they don't work together. And as I said earlier on, when I'm left to my own devices, I probably very much lean to that kind of like my own effort, I can figure this out kind of thing. And I forget that I actually really need God's help. It might be that you lean the other way, but Peter doesn't seem to do either of those things. Because the Bible is clear, we, we cannot earn God's love or his power, that cannot change. It is completely and freely given to each and every one of us. But it does say that we are invited to live differently in light of it. That our effort isn't some kind of contradiction to God's grace, but it's actually our, our like loving response to it. And so notice it's quite important. Peter doesn't say, oh, make every effort, work really hard, and eventually you'll get God's divine power. He actually flips it the other way, other way around. And he says, his divine power has given you everything that you need, and now go and make every effort. And so what this means is that we're, we're probably not going to grow and become more like Jesus if we think that the Christian life is, is automatic. That there isn't really like a Christian version of cruise control or autopilot or like one of those travelators in the airport where you just stand on it and it kind of does all the hard work for you. We're probably not just going to wake up and be like, whoa, guys, I am so much more like Jesus than I was yesterday. A beard has just appeared. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, little idea. Imagine there is a giant boulder on this stage. Like that one, but imagine much bigger. And I invite you one by one to come up and, and move it. And moving the boulder is like trying to make ourselves more like Jesus, right? So at the one end, you have people who would desperately come up and try with all their strength to move it. I can even see some of you looking and be like, yeah, I could, I, I, I back myself, I could move that. And then on the other hand, you have someone who stays where they're sat and be like, oh, I'm not gonna move it, God will move it. I don't wanna get too involved. I'm just gonna wait here and wait for him to, to do it. But actually, what it feels like the Bible communicates here and in other places is that there is, there's like a third way where we ourselves do have to get up out of our chair and come up onto the stage. And in some ways, it looks a little bit like the first one. But in reality, it is completely different on the inside. It is through God's strength and through his power that somehow he enables us to do things we would never otherwise be able to do. But it does require us getting out of our seat and coming up. William Tyndale, he uh, was known for translating the Bible into English. He put it this way. He says, human effort is indispensable even though it is inadequate. So what does it look like for us to make every effort? Well, a quick question for you. Does anyone here actually like going to the gym? I'm sure some people do, yes. Some very quick hands going up. Some people do. Respect to you. Uh, I've got some friends who love it, that like they plan their lives around particular spin classes or other things. They get up at like 5 a.m., go to the gym before work, whatever. And if that's you, fair play. Like a lot of respect to you, but that's not me. I do not like the gym. I'm not a member of one. I don't plan on becoming a member of one anytime soon. But one of the main reasons that I'm not a huge fan is there are a lot of effort, right? Like there's the faff of figuring out when you're going to go and then you get there 
Um, and the hardest bit for me is actually looking like I know what I'm doing when I'm at the gym. And you kind of walk around being like, I don't know what to do on that machine. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to look like you play the part. That's the hardest bit for me. But generally, it is just hard work. But unfortunately for me, the whole point of going to the gym is that to do it well, it is actually meant to take effort. Right? In fact, when you go to the gym, you're only going to get fitter or leaner or whatever if you're doing something that's pushing you slightly beyond what you can currently do. Like, if it's super easy and you're just pushing this thing up like this fast, whatever, you're probably not doing anything. We only actually get fitter by stretching and challenging ourselves. And it's the same in some ways when, in, when we grow as disciples. And that is why another place of the Bible, following Jesus, is often compared to exercise or to a race or to a fight or a struggle. Because there is this assumption that it will actually require a degree of effort on our part, that it requires for us to be stretched. And I know for me, that forces me to ask myself some questions like, when was the last time I felt a bit outside of my comfort zone in terms of my faith? Like, what would it look like for me to be stretched and challenged right now in this, this coming week? Or what about the things, if you were here last week, that Ali mentioned in terms of like prioritizing our Bible and silence and solitude and worship? Like, how high are they actually on my priorities week to week, not just whilst I'm here on a Sunday? And what about you? Like, do you feel like you're currently outside of your comfort zone in terms of your faith at all? Are there some places that maybe you feel like for a while God has been like nudging you on something, but as of yet you've not managed to do something about it? Or as we heard earlier on, John talked about how uh, this month we're invited together as a church to, to pray and fast together. And like, what would it look like for you to, to commit to that, even if in a small way, like to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit? But in many ways, I think, as we look ahead to the coming year, the first questions are less necessarily about what you might want to do or not want to do, but almost step back a little bit and be at the moment on the trajectory you're currently on. What kind of person do you feel like you're becoming? And if you were to invite God into that question a little bit, is there any way you think he might want to adjust that trajectory a little bit? Because I imagine for all of us, whether you're 22 or whether you're 82, there probably is something. And so... Just to, to bring us to close, Peter, he says that God's divine power has given us everything we need. And now we go and we give ourselves to it. We make every effort. And then as we've already read in verse eight, he explains what this leads to. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we kind of talked about earlier on, it's quite clear language, isn't it? None of us probably want to look back on 2024 and be like, my word for that year was like unproductive or ineffective. And Peter basically challenges us not to end up in that place. I've got a friend who God has done a lot in over the last few years, and he's begun to really take this seriously. He's made some big changes in his life over the last couple of years, both in relationships that he's been in. Uh, last year, he quit drinking and smoking, which was a really big deal for him. And since then, he's taken up regularly fasting. He's reduced his working hours so that he can serve a bit more in the church. Uh, he told me he recently bought a new phone for outside work time, which he calls his holy phone, uh, which just has a lot less distractions on it, and it's mainly just the Bible. And I know, because I know him, that this isn't him just like gritting his teeth and trying. He's doing this because it's his response to God's divine power. Like he's seen Jesus change him massively in the last few years. I've seen Jesus do that to him. And he wants now to do everything he can to allow Jesus to do even more of that. He doesn't want to settle for anything less. And I know for me, even as I was writing this talk this week, I started to think, 
what would this look like for me? Not to end up just kind of drifting towards being ineffective and unproductive. And the honest answer is, I think for me, it would involve sharing my faith a little bit more, taking a few more risks and worrying a little bit less about whether I look silly or not and just trying to be a bit more obedient. And I think it would probably look like me really, again, prioritizing genuine time with Jesus, not just kind of waiting for it to happen but carving it out. We've got a six-month-old at the moment, and it's fair to say my morning routine has taken a few hits, and it's not what it once was, but I know that if I really thought about it, if I really made every effort, I could figure some time out. Because I think sometimes in our setting, it can be easy just to not do this kind of stuff, can't it? Like, it doesn't just happen. I know I find that. And it's easy to come to a nice church building like this on a Sunday and then just kind of drift through the week and then get to the next one. But the challenge that Peter has for us in this passage is, like, don't we want more than that? Like, surely we want to end up more than ineffective and unproductive and instead to allow the creator of the universe who loves us to produce deep and meaningful change in us. Stuff that we would never be able to do ourselves. Like, you know those times when uh, maybe you see a teenager that you know that you haven't seen in a while and we do that kind of old person thing where we're like, whoa, haven't you grown? And they kind of look at us. Uh, Wouldn't it be cool if um, people in your lives, friends, family, over the coming months and years were able to look at your lives and be like, whoa, something has changed. You're not the same as you were before. Like, what's happened? Well, for some of you, it might be that even as I've been talking today, you've been thinking, that thing is never going to change. That way of thinking or that addiction or that pain that I feel like I'm carrying, I don't know how that could ever change. And you've lost a bit of hope a bit. And I feel like today, maybe God just wants to breathe a little bit of hope back into you that actually he is with you, he is for you. And yes, on our own, we might struggle to change some of those things, but his divine power is in us. And as Peter says, we could kind of drift through the next few years, or we could be changed forever and become more like Jesus year on year. 